Hi guys, I have to tell you about this amazing event that we're sponsoring and is a, we're a part of. It's called Attune by Living Holy and my good friend Jenny Emblem, who you can listen to in this feed, her uh, Sunday School episode is called Attune, is hosting the most amazing, beautiful event right outside of Atlanta, November 8th through 11th. It's a four-day wellness experience to optimize health from the inside out. She's featuring amazing inspirational speakers, interactive workshops, immersion in nature. Let me tell you some of these names. The Elizabeth Gilbert. Can you believe it? Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert, Gabby Bernstein, Sierra Rose, Shaman Durek, John Wineland. The list goes on and on about these amazing speakers and authors and just motivational individuals. It is uh, located in Serenby. And Serenby, if you haven't been there, it's a mystical urban utopia. I mean, it's incredible, guys. There's acres of forests and meadows and nature trails. Uh, there's going to be amazing fresh food and clean air. And you get to just immerse yourself in your own well-being and attune yourself to you to nature, to each other. It's going to be such an incredible experience and I'm so excited that we get to be a part of it. So if you live in Atlanta, you should definitely stop by at least for a day, if not the whole thing. The website is attunebylivingholly.com and then people are flying from all over the country to attend this event. So if you're not in Atlanta and you're one of our listeners somewhere else in the country. The Atlanta airport is pretty close to this event. Fly in, easy breezy, head to Serenby. You are not going to want to miss this event. If you come, look for us. We're going to have a mini modern mystic shop and we're going to be doing readings and stuff. So uh, again, a tune by livingholy.com uh, and you're not going to want to miss this incredible opportunity. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. My name is Kelly Knight. I am your host and shop owner. And this week we're going to talk about Halloween. But we're not talking about your childhood, typical carved pumpkins, pointy hats, candy corn kind of Halloween. We are talking about Halloween Brandon Knight style, my husband Brandon, um, and how to practice Halloween in a ritualistic way talking about pagan approaches to the holidays, various ritual practice that really can capitalize on this time, the thin veil of energy available between us and you know the astral realm is very, very, very primed for connection and ritual practice during Halloween. And Brandon is gonna offer his suggestions on how you can really capitalize on this energy. You know, I realized that I always talk about Brandon on this as on his intros and he's my husband and I never really dive into his credentials because I figure everyone knows he's incredible. Well, just for, you know, you guys to know a little bit more about him. He's been into spiritual development and psychology for 17 years or more. And he has traveled around and he's learned from the best people in the psychological, metaphysical, shamanistic worlds and the top people in their field. And so he has kind of gathered all of this incredible experience. And now uh, with his own study, he has created his own way to communicate about all of these different practices. So so 
he really has a ton of experience in this stuff and we are so so fortunate to be able to tap him for all of our you know needs and studies he's like a freaking encyclopedia uh, and then, you know, soon in about, I, well, soon is relative, but in about a year, he and I have worked on a book together. And so you'll get to learn even more about these subject matters from our blended perspectives. Uh, before I let you go to this podcast, I would love for you guys to please rate and review us on iTunes. Tell your friends about us. We're really trying to spread the word far and wide, and we're so, so proud of the content that we're able to put out here through these Sunday school classes and shop and through this podcast, and we'd love to be able to impact as many people as possible. So for all those modern mystics in your life who might not know about our podcast but would get a lot of value in it, we would really appreciate you posting it to Facebook or sending a text message to a friend so that we can all learn and grow together. So without any further ado, Halloween the Ritual Way with Brandon Knight. All right, everybody, welcome in and thanks for coming today. Um, Some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today is a little cursory. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Halloween a little bit and just the historical perspective on it. I'm going to give you kind of a witch's perspective on it and what we kind of do around this time of year and why it's important and what happens and kind of define almost like what I have on the slide here, defining the human experience and the timing of the spirit world. There's a timing that the spirit world coalesces and it ebbs and it flows, and our ancestors had a really good beat on that. They were connected to it. In today's society, we kind of ignore it all. We we really don't know what any of that is, what it looks like, because oftentimes in my, my talks, I talk about how when we stopped listening to shamans and started listening to priests instead, all that wisdom just kind of got discarded. And so today I'm going to reintroduce you a little bit to it. There's a lot of depth to this that, um, that I won't be talking about today that we can discuss after the talk or, or whatever you'd like to do. Or I can give you resources to, to further study and so that you can experience on your own. Um, experience is the absolute best teacher when it comes to this kind of subject matter anyway. You know, there's only so much that we can talk about that I can convey an energy and an experience and a presence through that will guide you to a deeper inner self and inner awareness around what your experience with the spirit world is. And so that's going to be something that you'll have to work out on your own, but this will be like a good intro to at least this time of year and what happens and why it's important and and how we can take best advantage of it, right? So um, it's interesting. I I just got back from New Orleans, and we visited a lot of voodoo places, and I I saw a lot of priests and priestesses and or doctors, as they call them. And um, I visited one place where uh, the... uh, is Priestess Miriam at the Voodoo Temple. I'm wearing her shirt just to support her today, but she is absolutely amazing. She's been practicing Voodoo for over 40 years in New Orleans there, and um, she's a really great woman of spirit. And when you meet her, you kind of, um, you kind of, she's unassuming. I don't know if you've ever seen Matrix, where the Matrix, the, the movie series where the Oracle comes out and says, here, just have a cookie. Everything will be all right, you know, and She's that kind of person. When you meet her, she's very unassuming. You don't, she's talking about birds and talking about the, how, how the sky is blue and, and different things like that. And then when you set in for a reading with her, all this ancient wisdom and knowledge just starts pouring from her. It's unbelievable. She's a real person of spirit. Now, oftentimes the real healers and the real people of spirit don't get noticed or don't get recognized or don't get popular because they really don't care about any of that. Once they start getting into their experience of spirit, 
and their understanding of what the spirit world is for them, and they're able to really convey that in a real experience for other people, too, and help them heal, um, they really don't care about being seen anymore. All that goes away because it's, it's kind of surface compared to their experience with spirit. So it's a very interesting um, understanding of things there. Um, New Orleans is one of those seductive places. If you go, you might want to watch out. You'll never leave because it's, uh, it has so much personality and so much spirit um, while at the same time having opulence and care and, and people who actually want to be there so much. And so it's a very interesting place. Anyway, um, I'll tie that into the talk here in just a minute about uh, different, different ties to, to what this time of year represents in voodoo. It's uh, All Saints Day, which is November 1st. There's a really good reason why they do it on November 1st as opposed to October 31st, like we do here in the States, uh, the majority of the people here. Um, so I'll get into all of that and why all this is really significant for, for people who are looking to get deeper into their experience of spirit and their expression of it. So, um, also I want to point out something too, that I see a lot of familiar faces oftentimes when I come and I, I speak at, at Sunday school and I was speaking to one of our team members the other night, we had a book signing and it was ultra successful here. Um, a palm reader by the name of Helene Sacedo. If you haven't gotten her book yet, it's really, really cool. It's, uh, it's where you can read your own palm, and, and um, you can even take the book to parties and, and help people read their palms because she makes it very easy to lay out how, how things are laid out in the palm. But we were standing in, in that uh, experience, and we were talking about how the energy of things and the spirit of things are created by groups of people. And um, I was talking to this person who's a team member, and I said, hey, you know, this feels really good, right? This feels amazing right now. Like, it was really popping in here. People were having the best time. They were laughing. They were smiling. They were joking. Things were going really well. And we were creating our own source of spirit is what was happening. Like, energy was really being given off, and people were just in a great mood, and it just felt amazing. And oftentimes when you come here, there's a spirit among you all. Right, So there's a gathered energy among you all where you're eager to learn. Like I can even see it on your faces. Some people are even leaning forward in their chairs. Like you want to learn. You want to soak in knowledge, and you want to, to go further in your life with spirit and what your experience of that is. And you all share that commonality when you come in, in this place. One of the best things you can do is kind of get in touch with that energy and the energy of... of um, of being open to understanding, but also transformation, right? Because we're all here to transform. We're all here to understand what it is to evolve as human beings. I'm here too. I'm learning from all of you as you're learning from me, right? Um, there, there is, I'm not some pastor behind a pulpit, you know, telling you what's right and wrong from a book, right? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a dude who's experienced spirit a lot, and I'm telling you my experience, and hopefully you can gather some, some momentum from that, right, and some energy, and carried into your experience of spirit. And so what you can do is you can take each other's momentum and you can catapult yourself with that. And so if you really come in with an open being and an open heart, and the way to do that is to really relax in your body while you're here and just un unwind a little bit, maybe do some breathing exercises in your chair and just sense into the energy around you, just kind of like play with it almost like you're floating in an ocean or a pool, right? Just allow yourself to kind of set in the energy of everyone else and soak in this and allow that to open you to more exploration 
right, to open up the belief structures that may be closed to information that could propel you or could transform you, but relax into an open state so that you can receive everything that everybody else is giving off, right? That's a really, really cool practice if you can get into that some. And I'll go into that a little bit more. Maybe we'll do a practice around that if we got some time before we end the, the conversation here. So let's get into it just a little bit. All right, a brief history of Halloween. So we're going to go into it just a little bit and just see um, what we can explore. All this, th on this slide, everything I'm about to show you can be Googled. I try to stay away from that stuff because you come here for something other than that, right? But this is, it's, it's good to understand this foundation if you haven't got it yet. Or, um, and in some of the talks I'm going to talk about kind of go into taking advantage of this information. So it's good to have like a good intro, right? So Halloween's origins uh, date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, but it's, it's pronounced Sowin. The Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France, celebrated the new year on November 1st. So as the years, right, ended and began, they believed that the time was very, very auspicious. So when their year ended on October 31st, they believed the veil was very, very thin, and that you could... Um, you could gain information from the spirit world a whole lot easier. You could reach into it a whole lot easier. So their druids and their priests and people like that could go forward and get information from the future and kind of foretell and forecast and things like that. But they could also um, contact their ancestors better. They believed that, um, that several different things were in transition during that time because that's when their year ended. So they would go into that a little bit. And it was the end of the summer harvest beginning of the dark, cold winter, time of year that was often associated with human death, right? So I talked about it a little bit, but this is when they believed that the, the veil was very thin and the ghosts of the dead returned to the earth to be, to be interacted with, right? So you could contact your, your ancestors a whole lot easier, like I said, and you could draw in that information, that wisdom, and get messages and things like that during that time. And so in addition to causing trouble and, dam and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of other holy spirits made it easier for the Druids or Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. Cover that just a little bit. So I wanted to go into that just a little bit because I want you to understand that this just came from that one culture. So that one culture pervaded like half of what the world does around October 31st. So it's very interesting, right? Um, all because their year ended on October 31st and began on November 1st is, when, is why we celebrate the way that we do. And we dress as like ghouls and ghosts to scare off bad spirits. That's what they did during that time. But I do believe this. I believe that that culture was very, very connected to natural forces. All right. So the Celts were... They depended on those natural forces to survive, like a lot of ancient cultures did. They depended on the changes of the seasons and knowing when that was going to happen. In particular, in their part of the world, though, right, it became very cold and very rainy and very wet very fast. They had to really understand what was around them and how to take advantage of it in order to survive. It wasn't like a hospitable place to live. Um, like it, uh, it, I mean, it's really not that much of a hospitable place to live right now. So... Um, especially if you were to go to the Highlands of Scotland and, and, and different things like that. But, but Ireland is just a mess during the fall and winter. I mean, it's crazy there. And so 
even in modern day, it's not that great of a place to be during the winter, right? So you can imagine what it was like for our ancestors then and ancient peoples then. So they had to really, really be in touch and be connected. And so let me go into that a little bit and what that is and what that means and how we can relate it today. Maybe we can take advantage of it. See, back in that time, um, our ancient ancestors did not compartmentalize their experiences. There was no separation between body, mind, and spirit. See, in the Western civilization, what we like to do is we like to say, oh, my body's aching, right? And, they, and you, you detail that, th that your body's doing something. But if you were to have that experience um, before Christ came in B.C. or so, right, in that era, they did not separate so much, and especially before the Industrial Revolution, um, but in particular before Christ came and before Christianity really started segmenting things in people's minds. The, the thing that happened was the, if you had a, an ache in your body, it was actually a spiritual experience. It wasn't just a body experience. Or if you thought about something, you, you engaged the astral or the spiritual realm when you were thinking about it. And so our ancestors didn't understand the separation of body, mind, and spirit like we do today. And so they had a completely different experience of their environment. They were literally almost different peoples. So let that sink in just for a second. So our ancestors, they have a lot of, of lore, right? A lot of stories. They have a lot of, of <clears throat> I met the devil on the road when I was, you know, going to the bar today. Or, man, I went into the woods and I got lost and, and I met a fairy in a grove. Or, you know, you, you'll hear all the, like, you could hear these stories around the, the tavern at night, right, with our ancient ancestors. Um, or around the, the fire at night in villages, right? They would sit down and talk about how they met a spirit in the, in the woods that day. Or they were on their way back from, from wherever, you know, driving the, the, the carriage. And then uh, there, was, there was a spirit that crossed the road and gave them a message or any number of things. But they experienced their, their world completely different because they didn't de uh, decompartmentalize their lives, right? So everything was a spiritual experience on top of it being a physical experience or a mental experience, right? So all that was, was together. And this allowed for a totally different way of being with everything around them. Like I said, a body experience was a spiritual experience as much as it was a scientific or analytical understanding. So even your scientists of that time, like people that were analytical, they still understood their body from a very spiritual experience. And this opened the belief structures to have a greater experience of the ways in which the spirit world touches ours in every way, giving them a greater story to draw from and actual experiences of the world that differ from ours today. So I'm not saying that everybody that talked about meeting the devil on the road actually met the devil on the road during that time, right? I do believe that a lot more people had spiritual experiences and experiences of the spirit world that were pervasive for their culture because they had a belief structure that was open to it and they had a way of viewing their world in which they could actually pick it out. So when we look at our world, we don't pick, pick out spiritual experiences. When we look at our world, we don't see animism like our ancient ancestors did. Animism is the belief that everything has a life. The stones do, this table does, this floor does, this counter does. And that may sound hokey to some of the people in the room and some of the people listening to the podcast, but in actuality, everything gathers energy. It doesn't matter what it is. That's actually a scientific phrase right there. Everything, I mean, the, the floor beneath me has energy in it. 
the counter space that I just talked about has energy in it. And I think that's what our ancestors were referring to. It's like, hey, man, this thing has something to it other than just the physical form. There's a way in which it's formulated and a way in which it has gathered things over time and a history to it that makes it feel different than just a normal piece of wood out here in uh, a pile. Like the, this has seen a lot, the, the floor beneath me in the store has seen a lot of people come and go. And it has a lot of rich things that have happened here. And you can kind of feel the history when you walk into a place that's old. You can, it feels different. It's the same difference between um, feeling uh, when someone's had a really, really bad argument in a room. You can cut the tension with a knife, so to speak. Like there's an energy that's built up in there between two people. And if it's built up between two people, it can certainly be absorbed by the environment, right? You can also feel it in environments that are quote unquote haunted or bad things have happened on. You can go to some of the, uh, the, uh, some of the best places to go would be like Civil War areas, right? So if you go to places where a lot of people have died and battlefields have happened, you can kind of feel that there is a different presence there. It's just a little bit different to walk on that place, right? If you're sensitive at all, even if you're not sensitive at all, you can still feel that something is different about that area than the area you just came from, right? And so most people can tell the difference there. And what is that? And so that is the energy in an environment taking shape, taking form from what has happened. And it's being absorbed into things like the trees, like the grass, like the ground. And it's the same way with everything around us. It all absorbs energy. It all has personality. And so that's what our ancestors experienced and believed they were very sensitive to that. And the reason why I'm going into this a little bit, because it does detail how we need to retrain ourselves into more of an animistic state and more of an understanding of the spiritual environment around us and educate ourselves on what that looks like and how to grow that in order to invite a sense of sacredness back into who we are as beings. Let that sink in just for a second. That's a word that's really weird, right, sacred? You hardly ever hear that anymore in talks or speeches or anything like that. And I'm bringing that up about a talk about Halloween and ritual because it's really important to separate the experience of what a, what a spiritually developed and mature process looks like for a being that can transform you as opposed to just thinking about the horror, horror stories and horror films that we write and that we see around Halloween. There has to be a delineation somewhere, right? There has to be a different experience and a different culture around this, and that's what I'm kind of getting into. Because before I introduce to you a ritual that can help you change, that can help you have a different experience of the spirit world during this time where the veil actually is thin, I think the Celts had this intact. They had this really great connection to themselves and their environment, right, and their experience of the world. So they understood that October 31st was a place where things thinned, where things were not the same as they always were. There was a timing there where you could really, really connect a little bit differently than you could other times of the year. And so they had, they had an understanding of that, and they made it a part of their culture. And even if that's not true, enough people believing it in a culture, just like we do even today, right, starts to create that experience anyway. It wouldn't matter. We're very, very powerful beings. Ancient societies even created gods that became real. They would so, come together and really create thought forms and what in magic what we call egregores, and they would create these things that would live and breathe in the spirit world and had an effect on the physical plane that didn't exist before, right? Great cultures would do that, Mesopotamia and different places like that. That's a whole other talk. But 
that is how powerful we are. So even if your scientific mind was to say, ah, it's just this hokey thing, October 31st, it's, it was all made up by the Celts. Well, it's been pervasive enough, actually, to be celebrated and propagated over and over again for centuries now. And in that, it creates an experience where the veil actually is thin for all of us. And so it's something you can really take advantage of. So keep that in mind, even if it's real or it's not. In fact, almost everything I'm talking about today is like that. Your experience of ghosts, your experience of the spirit world, your experience of, of gods and goddesses, your experience of whatever it may be, if it is pervasive enough to go throughout cultures of people and, and affect thousands and thousands of people, then it is pervasive enough to actually be created as an energy. And you can take advantage of it and have an experience of it. So regardless of whether or not science backs this up, regardless of whether or not it's something that actually is real. It actually is real because the imagination and because the belief structure of thousands of people creates a very powerful and real environment for us to play in and for us to experience. That is real. So regardless of whether or not you believe in ghosts or have ever had an experience of it, regardless of whether or not you think Halloween is this thing, the ability for us to take full advantage of it is here because it has been created for thousands of years by peoples. And so it has built up energy. And so this is a very powerful time that you can take advantage of. So beyond it being like a real time where the veil is thin, this is actually something that has been supported by belief structures for eons. And so it's something that we can really, really take advantage of. The other thing that I want to touch on, and of course this may be a, um, a whole other lecture too, there were no digital waves and technologies blocking signals and wavelengths to the nervous system, giving them a more connected sense of, of the visceral spirit world. Elect electromagnetic waves dampen our experiences of spirit sometimes. And so back then there was absolutely no technology, right? Other than what they could create from like wood or metal or anything like that, there wasn't frequencies being put out into the environment constantly. And so frequencies are a very real and affecting thing. Like 5G is coming. I don't know if anybody's read up on that stuff, but it's not the greatest thing in the world, right? And so um, 4G was, was bad enough. I mean, they, they've proven that people can get cancer from cell phones. And so it's, it's a very interesting thing that we start to allow this into our environment. And um, Wi-Fi, plants can't grow around Wi-Fi. If you put them around Wi-Fi, why is that? And why do we think it's good for us just to put it out all the time everywhere, right? So if, that, if it actually affects our physical environment and our body, think about what it can do for our experiences. We haven't even tapped into that yet. What does it do for our experiences? What does it do for our sense of self to have these wavelengths in the environment all the time from a physiological perspective? On top of that, what does it do for our experience of spirit and the spirit world? What does it do for our experience of, of self, right, against that? And so I think that today we have to try a lot harder to think out of, outside of a rational boxed mind because of these wavelengths. In order for us to have an experience like our ancestors did that's very valuable, that's very in, indigenous to where we are in the land and having a connection to that and have a connection to each other, that really goes beyond what just a hug, right? Sensing into the energy of each other, sensing into what it means to connect having a transformational experience in those areas, having a transformational experience in the connection to your ancestors and to spirits and to gods and goddesses and to the astral plane where things just get piled in there, right, from our experience as human beings. In order to do that, 
We have to do a lot more work, I think, in this day and age. Not only do we not have a culture for it, but we have a lot of frequencies being put out into the world that really block and damage our experience of that. So just that's something to consider, too, um, as you go along throughout the experience of all this. So I want to point out something, too, that's very interesting that, that goes into this. So we have a, a history on the planet, of course, eons and eons of, of people living and dying on, on this earth. Every time a person dies, they release an energy. And so, um, unfortunately, some cultures thought that they could um, really take advantage of that energy, and they could. It was, it was malicious, but um, like Mayan technology and different things like that, um, believe that human sacrifice could get you somewhere spiritually, but it was in the wrong direction. But they, and so they made human sacrifices and things like that. And, and the Celts did too, and, and different, different cultures did their own thing around that because they understood they had a connection to the natural laws, the natural ways. They understood that this could possibly do things. And so I do want to uh, point out that this is a time, if you didn't know already, and this is not necessarily something you can Google, so I included it, but this is a time you can actually start to tap into the strength of what that is. So this is our heritage right here. All the energy that's ever been passed down and passed on from people living and dying on this earth is everyone's heritage that is setting in these seats. We are the latest incarnation of our bloodlines. October 31st is one of the biggest days of the year. You can take advantage of that. What does that even mean? Well, think about your ability to transform your life. How often can you change yourself, let alone someone else, right? We all have patterns that box us into places. We all have things that don't allow us to move forward, that block us from living a life that, that we really want to live, right, that subjugate us. We, have, it, we live on a polarity planet, and what I mean by that is there's yin and yang, right? There's chaos and there's order. In almost everything you see, it's the reason why we have war and we have peace. It's the reason why in one part of the world people can be rich, in another part of the world people can be dirt poor and be taken advantage of, right? Or they can also, that can happen in the same society, right? Because we live in a polarity planet, because we have juxtaposing energies, as much as there is darkness, there's going to be as much light, right? And vice versa. It's always going to be that way because the world works in balance as a reflection to the universe, the universe works in balance too, right? As much as there black, there's black holes sucking up stars, there's stars creating light, right? And so in that, what you have here is the ability for us in the latest incarnation of who and what we are as human beings to take advantage of all the energy that's been released over time of our ancestors living and dying and struggling on this planet. So this is a very, very auspicious time to do that. October 31st and November 1st, carrying it over, are going to be the days that you can really, really do that. So I want, to, I, I want to point that out because it's something that you can really, if you understand this and you really get a sense for it, I'm going to guide you to create a, an ancestor altar that's part of the ritual of what, um, of what I'm going to introduce to you today if you really want to take advantage of Halloween. And in that what I want you to do is get a sense for the fact that you are the latest incarnation of a great long line of people who have overcome, who have struggled, who have suffered, and who have triumphed in getting you to where you are right now on this planet. 
it's a great amount of energy that we have no clue how to tap into until we actually start to connect with it. In the classes where I take people into experiences and spiritual experiences and pull them through, this is one of the first things that I guide them to do is actually how to tap into this. I'm just going to give you a sense for it today. It's a very depth ritual that I teach people in order to really, really start to hone into this. But you're going to get a sense for it. And if you sit with it long enough, you'll actually start to feel it. It's a very, very interesting power because what it can do is, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you've experienced and what your story is of suffering, of overcoming, of, of coming this far, or of triumph, this can take you a lot further than where you are currently. This is one of the ways in which every single one of us in this class, including myself, has sold ourselves short because we haven't learned how to truly tap into a lot of the depth energy that's out there for us as human beings. Our ancestors had a better understanding of it. Yeah, they didn't live as long. You know, they had a lower life expectancy. There's a lot more diseases out there and things like that in the physical realm. But spiritually, we had some really fucking powerful ancestors. Spiritually, we had some ancestors that could literally control the weather, like move the earth. Like a lot of those legends you, you hear about, some of it's really puffed up, yeah. Some of it's probably not real. But I bet some of those stories are real. Because I know people today that are a lot like them, actually. So... Any questions so far before I go into the ritual a little bit? Cool. So a good way to experience sacredness on Halloween. Yeah, go ahead. There's really no, no practice about the physical body either accepting or rejecting the 5G waves. The, the thing that, um, that I would do is I would buy a 5G blocker. There's some really great, um, great technology out there to do that, um, that, that helps protect the cells of the, of the system to do that. Um, I, I'll have to, uh, catch me after the class, I'll tell you the technology for it. I, I have to look it up on my phone. Um, Mm -mm. I, I think that there's no way to really block that. So allowing it to pass through would be the best thing because blocking it was, is not, you'd have to be extremely, extremely powerful to block it. I mean, it would, yeah, you, you would have to be someone that's practiced for years and getting your orc filled up and chakra system up to the point to where you could physically affect the environment with it and then you could block it. But that, that takes like, man, that's crazy. It's a crazy amount of work you would have to do in order to do that, so. Yeah, that's a little bit, actually, that, that's a good point. If the group thought, so um, for those on the podcast, he's asking, uh, a gentleman in the, in the class is asking about 5G and, and what the best practices are around um, using, um, using thoughts and energy in order to really protect us against things like 5G. And um, he was asking whether it's, not, it's, it's better to block it or whether it's better to allow it to pass through the system or what, what would happen there. I think that um, he made a really good point in the, in the sense that if we did do some group think around it and create um, a lot of, a lot of um, thought forms around it where we all create this, this culture and belief around 5G that, that allows the, the, the waves to do less damage to the body somehow, whether it be to pass through 
or a blockage of some kind, it'd be a lot more powerful than certainly just individuals going around thinking they could do it. But once again, that'd be hard to organize, right? First of all, you'd have to have a, a group of people thinking the same way around 5G. And that, I mean, it's so split right now between scientists even, you know, it would be hard to, to create that culture. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, start it here. Yeah, you're welcome. Any more questions around anything I discussed so far? So it's, the talk sounds a little convoluted at this point because I've, I've gone a little bit over the map over, over but what I need to do in order to, for, you, for this ritual to really, really work for you is create a foundation of knowledge and belief structure, right? Because without the foundation of knowledge that I just gave you and without the belief structure intact around experiences and how to start to integrate what a human experience is instead of separating out mind, body, and, and spirit and Instead of doing the different things, we need to be a little bit more like our ancestors when we go into ritual and really integrate all the experiences together. And so what I try to do with this ritual is allow it to be something that does it for you almost automatically. So let me go into it just a little bit, and I'll explain the steps. This is very broken down um, and very, uh, very redacted, so I'll go into it a little bit more in depth. But what you need to do is make an altar dedicated to your ancestors. And... I've discussed this in other, other talks, but very briefly what it looks like is an odd number of water glasses on a table with some things representing your ancestry. It doesn't have to be pictures of your ancestors. If, um, if you don't have any, that's okay. It can be things that represent your lineage, you know, whether it be glasses from your grandmother or, you know, antiques that they kept um, in their home that were passed down in the lineage, um, old knives or even an old gun or, or any number of things, Right. That, um, that connect you and link you to your heritage a little bit. Um, it could even be flags from the countries they came from and things like that. Something that comes to you and, and when you meditate on it that really hits you that's like, oh, that's going to connect me. It feels good, right? And so it'll feel, it'll feel almost like strength. So you need to make an altar dedicated to your ancestors. If you know how to open circle, if you practice magic, do that. If you don't, um, clear the room. And what I mean by that is go around with sage or with Palo Santo or whatever your, your herb of choice is for that and really make the intention that this is my life and I claim it. And for this time, I'm going to have something that's mine and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to use my energy in a way that actually has some intention behind it to do what I want to see happen in my life, right? So it needs to be a movement of strength, it needs to be something where you gather your intention and really say, this is mine. This area is mine, and while I'm here, this is a totally different space where I'm going to create a life that I want to see happen beyond how I believe, beyond what I've always been taught is real, beyond what society teaches me about this stuff. I'm going to have a real pure experience here. So have the intention set in that manner when you clear. Um, after that, what you need to do is uh, have some drum music ready. Drum music would be excellent. But you need to dance. You need to get in your body. What I mean by that is you need to have a visceral experience of your body, like the blood pumping, sweaty, like sweat forming on your skin, right? Um, you need to get to the point where your body can actually sense things in the environment a little bit better. And the only way to do that is to get in there. So you need to dance. And... Um, Dancing is different than doing yoga or anything else to, to get in practice for a ritual because what dancing actually does is it engages the nervous system and the spirit world. It's almost like 
and I'm going to guide you to do this. When you sing, you automatically become ethereal. Automatically, you, you engage the spirit world when you sing. That's the reason why when people sing and while we hear them in song, it woos us in. We're like, oh, man, it starts to engage different parts of the brain and the body and the nervous system. When we hear a song that we really like, it pulls us in because this is a different experience than just what is physically out here. It starts to engage spirit. It starts to engage a different aspect of the human experience than almost anything else can. It's the same way with dancing. And this kind of dance, I don't want you to dance like you're discoing. I don't want you to dance like someone can see you and you're dancing for them, right? So you're doing all the moves just right. I want you to lose yourself in this. Get low to the ground. Like really explore your shadow side here. Like really, really huff it out. To the point to where you, there is no form. You're just flailing almost, right? I don't, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, pictures of a voodoo ceremony, but it doesn't matter. They, they're not concerned about who sees them dancing and, and how well it looks. They're, they're concerned about engaging spirit and engaging the spirit world. And so I want it to very, be very tribal, very indigenous, what you're doing. Get low to the ground, experience your body, like really, really really experience your body. And you don't have to kill yourself with it. You don't have to have a heart attack, but get to the point where sweat is standing on your skin and you can really feel it. Your heart is going, right? And then right after that, sit down and do the philosopher's stone exercise. And what that is, is where you, um, you sit down, you're going to be breathing and huffing, kind of like get your breath, right? Start to relax, and once you do that, breathe in really, really deep through your nose. As you do, draw in um, energy in front of you. Just picture it. All you have to do is picture it as you breathe in. And picture it coming in almost as like little beads of lightning or as waves or whatever you want to do. And ball it up in front of you right here in front of your diaphragm. And make it into like a little ball. And then breathe out. Do that five times. Breathe it in again, right? Form all the energy around you into a little ball. See, a lot of times what you happen to when you dance is you create energy in the room. And so what you're going to do is you're going to start absorbing that back in. And so you do it five times. You breathe in five times really deep into a, a hard, in your mind, a hard little ball right here in front of your diaphragm floating. And you just pull it in everywhere. And so after you do that five times, what you're going to do is you're going to breathe in the sixth time, and as you breathe in, you're going to suck that in right here into the diaphragm. It goes just right, that, ball, that, big, that, that little ball that's a very concentrated point of energy, you're going to suck that into your body. When you do that, you will feel different. That's a totally different experience. So the imagination is actually something that affects your reality. Right? If perception is reality, then our imagination, the more we engage it, the more we believe in it, is actually going to be something that opens up a different experience for your reality. So if you can engage it enough to the point to where you draw that in and you really suck that in your body, that's going to be a different experience for you. Almost everybody that I've ever taught that to, it affects them physically. They physically feel different. Once you do that, light a candle on your ancestor altar. I would recommend three glasses of water, 
You can have five, you can have seven, but three is easy. I'd put ice in the water. If you're witchy, you can prick your finger and put blood in the water and claim that this ancestor's altar is for your bloodline only, right? And so when you do that, all of that, and you light a candle, now, very, with, it, with an inward sense, right, and not caring who hears you and what goes on, sing a song in front of your altar. And when you sing, allow your voice and your imagination to physically take form and reach beyond the veil to your ancestors. Make it an offering to them of gratitude for bringing you this far, for allowing you to come this far. And I know we all got assholes in our ancestors, right? We got some people that abused everybody. Um, we, got, we got killers. We've got, we got some really terrible people in our ancestry, but we also have some really great people too, right? The yin and the yang. It's all there. When you are reaching out and you are giving gratitude, you're giving gratitude for the good and the bad because it's what brought you this far. It's what made you who you are in this moment. Right? And so when the veil is thinnest, reach out with song to those that are the awakened ancestors in your bloodline. Don't reach out to the bad. Have gratitude that they were there and move them on. Right? But when you're reaching out in song, reach out to the awakened ancestors. And after you're through singing and the candle is lit, stare at the flame with your palms upward and be open to receive and set in gratitude for your life. No matter how bad it is, no matter what your story is, you have the opportunity to transform. You have the opportunity to experience love, to experience joy. Even if it sucks right now, you have that opportunity. It's something you can be grateful for. So open up in gratitude to your ancestors for bringing you this far, giving you the opportunity to have an experience in life that is what it is. And then open to receive. Be very cognizant of what comes to your mind at that time. It might sound like your voice. It might sound like you're just having a thought. But I can almost guarantee you're not just having a thought. Something is speaking to you. Just assume that it is. Regardless if it just, oh, that's just my thoughts. At that point in time, don't think that. Just believe it's a message. Have a journal close by and write down everything that you hear. Write down everything that you receive. You could even receive not just thoughts. You could receive waves of energy. You could receive a physical experience. You could receive any number of things. Whatever gift they decide to give you is between you and them. Keep it that way. It'll have more power. It will transform you more if you don't share it. Hold it in. And over the course of the next few days, as November 1st rolls around, November 2nd, it'll start to unfold the more you hold it in, the more you don't tell anybody something will unfold for you as an experience based on your experience there and what they told you. 
And that would be one of the most sacred, beautiful, and transformative ways that you could experience Halloween. How much time we got? We got 14 minutes for any questions you got. And I can discuss any number of subjects at this point. But anybody have any questions about anything? Go ahead. Yes. So uh, the second week in January is when, is when I'm taking that on. So the self-mastery course will be in, in again. So I'll be taking on six people. Make sure and give me your, your email address because I've already got people that want to sign up, and I'll send, you, I'll send you out RSVP when it's time to sign up. Yeah. Yes, go ahead. Well, you don't, it, it depends. I mean, I would go with how I feel about that. For those on the podcast, we had a person ask um, about how long you let the candle burn. It would be, it'd be okay to put it out after you're through with your ritual. But if you feel like it needs to burn, let it burn. It's okay. As long as it's supervised, you don't want to burn down your house or whatever it may be, or you have it in a safe container or anything like that, of course. You know, practice safety, use common sense. But, um, I typically, when it comes to ancestry work, I always let candles burn, but you don't have to in this particular situation. You know, it's up to you. Absolutely. Um, I didn't include that because I want to keep this really simple, but absolutely. In fact, carving into the candle would be great too. You can carve your name and any names of ancestors that you believe are really with you, right? Um, just carve their name over yours or beside or any whatever feels right to you in that regard. But carve their names in the candle. Carve your name into the candle. Um, anoint the candle if, if you're feeling extra witchy with, uh, with your blood um, and some oil. And that would make it very powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, for those in the podcast, the question was, uh, color of candle doesn't matter. And uh, as far as singing, is there any particular songs that would matter? Um, I think that you need to pick a song that is sacred to you, that you can offer them whatever you feel like would be an offering to your ancestor and to your bloodline. If that song feels like an offering, let it be that, right? That'd be the, the most important thing, I think. Um, it could be any number. I mean, it could be a gospel song. It could be um, a rock song. I mean, anything that you feel would be an offering to them that you can make um, beautiful and etheric, right? And that you believe that you could envision the words being an actual physical thing going forward into the spirit realm as an offering. As long as you can do that with that song, that's the one you should sing. Um, the, the, color, the candle color ideally is white. Always when you're doing ancestral work, white is, is a really great color. Um, but... It really doesn't matter for the most part, but white would be ideal. Yes. Oh, there's all kinds of man. Summer solstice, winter solstice, uh, uh, spring solstice. I mean, all all the solstices are really great. Um, all your new moons actually are really fantastic. Um, people like full moon stuff, but actually new moon is very, very powerful. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many dates out there. Um, 
get with me after this, and I'll give you a book that's a really great almanac for that. That can they can get the dates for you that that are really auspicious and the best things to do with them. Um, so it's super cool. But yeah, there's all kinds of witches almanacs out there that that show you that stuff. So and they coincide with every every spirit tradition, voodoo, um, uh, you know, Santeria, all those. They they recognize the almost exact same dates because it, it's about the energy of the earth and how it all ebbs and flows. So yeah, but almost almost all those dates are really important. Anything else? Yes. Ah, now I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot about that. If you can, the absolute best place to put this altar is in the northwesternmost part of the room that you're doing this in. So northwest is a really great direction to face whenever you're trying to contact ancestors and reach through the veil. So north, when, you're, when you set up the altar, you are facing northwest, and that altar is in the northwesternmost part of any room you set it up in. I probably, now that, almost any direction would work except south. I would not put it in south. And the reason why is because south is really great for getting things away from you. And so if I'm trying to contact my ancestors, I don't want them going further away from me, right? Um, but the south is really great to face if you're doing, you know, things over like getting rid of addictions, you know, losing weight or getting somebody out of your life, you know, cursing, you know, things like that, banishing. South is a really great direction for that. So, yes. So outside versus inside altars, I, I don't think any of that really matters. I think outside, I will say this, if you have the opportunity to have an outside altar, that's already a really sacred space, right? And so that's ideal. So if you have an outside altar, that's phenomenal. Um, if you have the opportunity to have that, where you can have privacy, you can have what you need there, um, because that, that place is already completely blessed, right? And so you don't have to do much clearing, just clear yourself more than anything. And, um, and then you're ready to go. So, yeah. Anything else? Yes. No. Oh, you mean like if you were doing this as a group, you would need to eat, yeah, each person would need their own altar. Yeah, because your bloodline is, is something that's very specific to you. All the spiritual gifts, all the, the foundational principles of who you are and the basis of your being is there. And so that's all really important stuff to, to have amplified. The whole point of an altar is to amplify something, right, in physical form. It's taking a spiritual component, a spiritual energy, and anchoring it in a physical realm and making it more and more accessible, and more palpable and easier to work with. That's the whole point of an altar. And so if you made multiple people's lineage, right, together, accessible at the same time on the same, same place, they wouldn't get the attention it needs, essentially, to really amplify, right? So it would almost be, in a way, a disrespect to the lineage because it's such an important thing. That makes sense. Anything else? Yes. Um, Northwest, for people on the podcast, the, the question was, um, what's the significance of Northwest facing? 
Nor so a long time ago, our ancestors had that connection to their natural environment, right? Like I discussed earlier. And they had a really good sense, and they started to really um, understand that, hey, man, when I face east, things really quicken up in my life when I ask for it. Or when I face north, I get a lot more of something. Or when I face south, things get away from me. And what people discovered is there's actual spirits and portals and um, ways of engaging the, the spirit realm that change with the directions. Because magnetics, right, and this is, we're, this is um, metaphysics, right? Magnetics have a lot to do with, with how um, the spirit world opens and closes. I know several witches that use mag humongous magnets during ritual to do different things, to open and close portals, to, do, to draw things to them, to push things away, different things like that. And so the, the great magnet of the earth, right, is the biggest magnet. And when you utilize that in the directions, it's one of the most um, uh, powerful ways to tell the spirit world what you're doing, right? So when I set up an anchor uh, or an altar for an energy in a direction, right, and I'm facing that direction with it, and it's set up in that direction, then I'm letting the spirit world know exactly what I'm doing. Because sometimes things from the spirit world to here, when we're trying to pull it in, get lost in translation. That makes sense? And the spirits are like, I kind of get the idea of what you're trying to do here, but I don't know how to interact with it. But if you're using directions, the spirits are very clear. Oh, you want more of something. You're facing north. I kind of get it. And they can pull in that energy because it's in alignment, right? Because you already set it up in the north. That makes sense? And so northwest is what our ancestors found out is the great portal and the great alignment for contacting the realm of the dead. That makes sense? Did I answer your question? Okay. Yes. It really doesn't matter in a, in a greater sense. I will say there's some really, really great, I mean, any kind of magical oil that's been blessed or, or have been, has been curated or made by hand, like the stuff we carry in our ritual kits, is always ideal. If you can't get that, the next best thing would be like the, um, the stone oil that we have here that's infused with the energy of, of, of stones. That stuff is really great. Other than that, essential oils are really great. If you don't have any of that, then olive oil. You know, the main thing you'll want to do is that the, the, reason why, the reason why people will use oil in general and the reason why oil works so well is because it contains energy, right? We cook with oil. It holds heat, right? So it holds energy. And so whenever you're doing something where you're engaging in energy and you're, you're really ramping up the energy, like the philosopher's stone exercise, and you're dancing and you're releasing energy and you're singing and you're, you're letting out a frequency, there's all kinds of energy going on here. And you're calling in ancestors, you're opening portals, and you're doing all the stuff and you're releasing blood if you're doing that. That's a lot of energy, right? And so when you're engaging in oil with it at the same time, that is holding the energy around the candle in a physical form and allowing that to be released as it burns. And so it really does a good job of amplifying what's happening. That makes sense? The road opener, road opener would be amazing for this. If you already have that oil, that stuff is fantastic. Okay. Any other questions? All right, I think we're going to wrap up. We're, we're pretty much on time. So thank you all so much for coming out. Really appreciate you. I'll be here for questions and answers if you need anything. So thank you again. Have a good day. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.